thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. I believe that every great endeavor, every great pioneer is attached to purpose. Purpose. Last week, David talked about some great pioneers of the faith. He talked about John Wesley and how he was literally riding thousands of miles on horseback to, to share the gospel with people. You see, there was a purpose to the pioneering. He didn't go just to go. He went to share the gospel. He talked about uh, Dick Eastman and praying over the globe and the world prayer maps and all of those things. There's a purpose tied to the pioneering. That Dick Eastman believes that, the God, that God is moved by our prayers. So because of that, he is, wants to mobilize prayer, that there's a purpose attached to the pioneering. And even Jesus, how David said it last week, the, the great pioneer of our faith, there's a purpose attached to the pioneering. That you and I, we were separated from God by our sins. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, pioneered our faith so that we can walk with God. Attached to every great pioneer is a great purpose. But we find ourselves often avoiding pain, and pain is the very thing that often reveals our purpose. You see, we, we've built our lives to actually circumvent those painful places, the things that may cause us pain in life. So we're trying to avoid pain. So we, we build our lives to go all the way around it. Instead of saying, maybe the place of pain, maybe the place of problems is the place that God wants to reveal purpose to our lives. So my, my hope is today, as we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, we can see how God will use a problem to propel our purpose. That he'll speak to us through his word. And what I love about the, the book of Joshua is this, is that this tense moment of the nation, especially the early chapters. The, the nation of Israel transitioned from the leadership of Moses into the leadership of Joshua. And it's this, this season, these moments of Joshua establishing his leadership among the people. And as I read this, I, I see just so much tension happening because God didn't want to just move in the generation of Moses that he wanted to move in the generation of Joshua. What God did with Moses, he's now going to do with Joshua. They're going to come into the promised land and it's going to require different mindsets. It's going to require a different set of miracles. It's going to require them to act differently than they've ever acted before. And I love this as they, as we jump into Joshua chapter three, as we see them getting ready to embark across the Jordan River. I mean, really the symbol of their promise, they're about to get into the promised land. We find them in Joshua chapter three. We're starting verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, 
And the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. It says, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. I want you to imagine the tension of this moment for, with me for a moment. Because we know, as you read the Bible, and you, if you've read the Bible, you know the stories um, enough to where it's like, okay, yeah, okay, God's, we know God's going to part the water, they're going to cross over, and they're going to go into the promised land, right? We, the whole rest of the Old Testament is predicated on that happening. Like, the whole rest of it. So we know it's going to happen. But just imagine with me, just like... Put yourself into the story of Joshua and you have, you're following this larger than life leader in Moses. God worked miracle after miracle through Moses. I mean, he, he um, had a, the burning bush. He had the miracle of the plagues. He, he literally set a nation free from Egypt and they were leaving and the Red Sea parts. And there's these, all of these moments and all of these miracles, manna falling from heaven, the earth opening up and swallowing people. Like there's like, you don't hear about that one in Sunday school, but it's all of these miracles happening. And you're Joshua saying, okay, it's time to cross the Jordan. How's this going to go? How's this going to happen? Is this going to work? I'm not sure. In Joshua chapter three, as the nation arriving at the Jordan river, and all of a sudden Joshua says, okay, here's how we're going to do it. God has spoken. We're going we're gonna to have the priest carry the ark to the Jordan River. Now, just like literally, like, just think about this. This is not like Moses raised the staff and the, ocean, the sea, Red Sea parted. Joshua is like, okay, we're going to carry the ark and we're going to go. And then literally it says their feet are now wet. So every hope for a preemptive miracle is now gone. It is not at the edge of the Jordan as they approached it. It is not how Joshua spread his arms just like Moses in the parts. It is none of that. It is literally, they're trying to cross the Jordan. It's at its flood stage because it floods this time of year, which complicates it even more. And the priests are now wet. How stressed out would you be if you were Joshua? I get stressed just reading it because I feel for him. I'm like, God, you could have done it like as they moved. You could have done it as they like entered the bank, that they were going downhill, like, in, like before they got there. No, no, no. The priest's feet were wet. God's promises always require action on our part. So like just think, like they stop, the priests get wet, and there's this pause. I just want us to imagine that pause because so many times it's in the pause that we think that there is a problem. In the pause, we think that there is a failure. We think that there's no purpose with the pause. We think that it's because something has stopped forward progress that all of a sudden we are doing something wrong and we need to change it. How many times have you started something new and stopped when it didn't go your way right away? Hundreds, right? You're like, I'm punting on this. This is hard. This is difficult. I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I'm punting on this whole thing. And because it's because you stop progress. What would happen if we leaned into the pause and said, maybe God is in there in the midst of it, still speaking purpose, still speaking destiny. 
We can't fall in the trap of believing that just because we pause that your purpose is over. Maybe God wants to use that pause to prompt you into prayer. Maybe he wants to, 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 to propel you into something new. Maybe he wants to, maybe he wants to use that pause to, to push you into leaning into him and having faith, even though the circumstances in front of you don't echo that you should have faith. See, every generation is an innate desire to see God move at work in them. Now, when I say the term generation, I don't want you to think that this is a youth group message. This is for the young people. I believe that biblically speaking, a generation is everyone on the earth at the same time. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a retiree, empty nester, hoping to retire one day. You know what I mean? Potty training kids, teenager, student in college. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you are alive right now, you are a part of this generation. And every generation is called to see God at work among them. So what, would hap what happens, though, is we try to marry the methodology of a previous generation where God wants to do something different in this generation to speak to it and to reveal himself in a new way, in a fresh way. Joshua and Moses had the same problem, but God solved it differently. Moses was in front of the Red Sea. The water needed to depart. There was a problem. Joshua is in front of the Jordan. He needs the water to depart. There's the same problem. The water needs to depart. And yet God chooses to solve those problems two completely different ways. Why? It's because each generation needs to see God move with their own eyes. And as we're faithful in that, and we trust God, we get to see him do something new. We can't marry a particular methodology because God will always change methods from generation to generation. God's job is tomorrow. Our job is today. But God's purposes start with a prompt. So as the nation crosses over the Jordan, just in case you didn't pick up on that, God parts the water, they cross over, and watch what happens in the midst of their crossing. So this is right as the nation is crossing, or right as they finish. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua did it. He called the people together. He called to the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. So not small rock, like big stone. According to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Often in the Bible, the Jordan River represents transition. You go from something that was happening to something that is now happening. You look at, you, know, you can see it all throughout the scriptures. You can see it, Jesus being baptized there. All of these different things happening take place in the Jordan. It's the middle moment. It's the moment where you don't know the end from the beginning. It's this transition. It's these thing, this piece that creates tension in the story. And when you see what's happening now in Joshua, they're getting 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan to set up as a prompt. A prompt is just something to remind you. So it's just, it's, 
It could be anything, but a prompt is something intrinsically that is, will remind you about something else. So they set them up, not because that generation needed them to remember, but because the next generation was going to need it to remember. And the generation after that was going to need it to remember that God moves on the earth. Every generation is desiring to experience their own move of God. So we have to build in prompts and think of ways to remind each and every single one of us over and over and over again about God's faithfulness, about his trustworthiness, about how he will move. He moved in the past and he will move in the future. And it takes courage and discernment to look at that prompt and step out in faith. Oftentimes, the prompt that we have most in this life right now, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will prompt you to do things, to prompt you to pray, to prompt you to step out in faith, to prompt you to, to do something that maybe is a little scary for you. But learning to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit is one of the most crucial things that we can do as Christians. And if I'm being honest with you, that most of the time, this learning curve of learning to lean into the Holy Spirit's prompt, I've, I've learned more from my, the times I missed it than I have the times I've gotten it right. And my prayer and my hope is that we all get it right. But the, the pain of knowing you missed it, it's a, hard, it's a hard teacher. So as we lean into the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we... We do so so that we don't miss the promises of God. God will speak something to you in a moment, and then his Holy Spirit will prompt you to begin walking toward that promise. It begins with a prompt. And God's purpose is personal. I love the story of Joshua so much. I, there's so much there biblically in, in the text, and it's just so encouraging. And one of the things that I think about Joshua is that he, he might have had a little imposter syndrome. And I don't mean the imposter syndrome like he was a fake. I do not think that at all. It, all throughout the Bible, Joshua is an incredible man who spends an extravagant time in the presence of God. I mean imposter syndrome and thinking that you don't have the skill set to do what you're doing. That you're not the right person because surely someone else more qualified should be doing this. Like you feel like you're an imposter. Like, you're not qualified. Because watch, I love the way that God speaks to him. Joshua chapter 1, flip over a few pages. It says this in verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous. God's speaking to Joshua. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your forefathers to give them. I just love that God said to you. You see, God doesn't allow it to be macro level like general statements to the people. No, no, he says, Joshua, I want you to be strong and courageous because you are going to lead my people. Verse seven says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. You have a purpose. I want you to hear that today. You have a purpose. It's not a collective purpose. It's not a macro level. Theoretical, sure, of course. No, no, no. You. You have a purpose. Colossians chapter 1 says you were created by God for God. That there is an intrinsic purpose that you have in your life. 
In fact, that I believe this so strongly that you had a purpose before God even created you. Your, and the way God has designed you reveals God's destiny for you. That your God-given purpose is hardwired into who you have been created to be. But we miss out on it because we think it's a, a they and not a you. A uh, recent seminary study said this, that 87% of church attenders do not know what their purpose is. 87%. So if the church is called the body of Christ, just to give you a visual, imagine if 87% of my body did not know what it was supposed to be doing right now. Like, just imagine that, 87%. And there's some enemy, there's the trap we fall into is this, and in, in finding our purpose, it's this, it's number one, confusion. You don't know what it is. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know what it is. So Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 said this, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of your spiritual gifts. We gotta, we gotta eliminate confusion. Comparison. We get on social media. And we, in our minds, we go, they're a level 10 gift, I'm a level 3 gift. And we go, you know what? The best thing really is going to be to let the level 10 gifted people be level 10 gifted people. And I'm just going to get out of their way. And I'm not going to cause any problems because I'm just going to stay out of the way and I'm going to let them be them. No, no, no. God has created you for a purpose. And if you are walking in your God-given purpose, then you are a level 10. You're not a level three. You are a level 10. And the world, the body, needs you to walk in your purpose. Can you imagine Joshua comparing himself to Moses? Like, can you imagine? I mean, just think about this. Like, he goes up to the Red Sea. He goes, he's watching all of this unfold with Moses, hanging out with him, spending time with him. And then he goes to the Jordan. He looks on Instagram. Oh, man. Okay, how did Moses do that? Okay, he had a staff. And let me watch it again. Okay, he raised it. I don't, I don't even have a stick. How's this going to work? You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine the comparison trap that he would have fallen into if he was constantly comparing himself to Moses? And let's be real, there's probably a reason God told Joshua over and over and over again to be strong and courageous. And I love that God took this you call from Joshua and literally made it the battle cry of the Israeli nation. The be strong and courageous was what they would chant and yell before they would go into battle. So imagine like bronze age battles happening, bronze breastplates, bronze like forearm cuffs, all these things. They would literally start smacking themselves in the chest, like metal on metal, an entire army yelling, be strong and courageous. If that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. Like that's like, but God took this, they took this you call, this purpose it was unique to Joshua, and he didn't allow comparison to limit him. And then counterfeit. You're chasing something that isn't God's purpose. We can get so fixated on trying to chase things that are, are not the things that God has for us. God has a plan for your life. He had a purpose, and then he made you. 
It is not he made you and then he figured out what you could do. No, no, no. He had a purpose. Your purpose preceded your life. Look at Psalm 139. David says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, watch this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as of yet there were none of them. God had every single one of the days of your life written before he created you. Oftentimes I find that if we're dissatisfied with an aspect of our life, it's because we're pursuing something that we weren't created for. So how does God reveal his purpose? If his purpose is personal, how does he reveal it? You get a call from birth. There are ways I believe are biblical. In the Bible, you see this happening over and over again. You see Jeremiah, Samson, John. You see these calls from God from birth that God has spoken to a parent, that God has spoken to someone, and there is a call from birth. The moment you are born, there is a, a unique call. Another way is a growing awareness. You see this in Joseph. Joseph was already alive. He began having dreams. He had this growing awareness that matured as he went through life so that even though the dream he had when he was younger wasn't fulfilled until he was much older, he had a, a growing awareness that uh, what, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. And there's this growing awareness. The third one is this, is you can walk through open doors. Esther, this is the story of Esther. I love this because it's not always Esther even thinking I should walk through this door. It's her uncle saying, hey, I, I think you need to do this. And Esther going, okay, well, let's pray, but then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk through that door, okay? And then a God encounter. We see that with Saul before he's converted to Paul. When he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, there's this massive God encounter, and he literally, his entire purpose of life transforms and shifts in a moment because God met him. Man, if... This should be so encouraging because it doesn't matter where you're at today. It doesn't matter what your life has looked like all the way up until today. That one moment with God can reveal your purpose for the rest of your life and you can walk in it and fulfill it no matter where you're at in life. And then your purpose is meant to propel. You see, when we are a part of the body of Christ, everyone works together for the good of everyone else. That it's no longer me, it's now we. Joshua had the people take the stones from the middle of the Jordan, not just for them, but for all the generations to come. Look at this in Joshua chapter 4, verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did it to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Can I tell you, I love that Joshua uses the us language about the previous generation. In verse 24, he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I think it's interesting that Joshua uses the us language 
Because the stones, when he talks about these stones of being a prompt to the next generation, he is tying it back to something he got to witness God do in a previous generation. And he's saying what God has done for us, he will do again. And this is just another mile marker. This is just another prompt of the story of God at work among his people. And even though we didn't get to see that one, he's done it for us because he did it before. And we can have faith in that, that no matter what happens, the powerful hand of the Lord is with us. And sometimes when we're in the middle of a miracle, it's hard to manage it. So the people of Israel have crossed the Jordan, but let's, let's look in that, that sliver of time just for another moment. Because when you're in the middle of the miracle, it's very, very hard because what happens is I think you want to do one of two things. I think you want to look to the past and live there, or I think you, wanna, you tend to look to the future and want to live there. But the middle is where the miracle is. The middle is where God's meeting you in the present. But it's really hard to hang out there. Right? So when we, when we look to the past, the danger is just living in the past and thinking that it was the particular method and that's how we should do it and we should never change and we should never morph and we should never grow. And what God did in that generation is the only move of God. It's the only way we're ever going to see God move is what he did in the past. There's a trap in that. Because you never get to move past, you never get to move forward from it. There's another trap of only looking to the future. Because the future is all made up. You're, you're, it's your imagination. You're making up different scenarios and how they're going to work out and how they're going to um, play out in your life. You're, you're imagining your retirement home on the beach or you're imagining your boat or RV, whatever that looks like. I'm 37, I'm, I'm not even, like, I can't even enter that mindset. I'm just like, can we finish potty training our children? But it's just, just like that moment, you're just like, here it is. And you're, you're making it up. Here's what empty nesting is going to be like. And here's what our vacations are going to look like. And here's what all these things are going to look like. And we, we imagine them so specifically. What we end up doing is sowing the seeds of disappointment into our own life. God is in charge of the future, not us. So if I'm living in the future, I'm not, pre I'm not fully present in the moment. And in the moment, we get to witness the miracle. But it's in the middle, and it's hard. Literally, your brain is hardwired to do this. Have you guys heard of the fight and flight instinct? Right, everyone who's graduated junior high. You're like, good, good job, Nathan. Um, there's actually a third reflex that your body has. They don't teach this in junior high. It is, you have fight, you have flight, and then you have a third one that's called freeze. Here's what it is. Fight is you fight. Flight is you run. Freeze is when your brain is going back and forth between both of them so rapidly that you can't take any progress. You literally are frozen in the moment. We can't allow ourselves to be trapped. There's a danger of living in yesterday and there's a danger of living in the future, but I'm going to be fully alive. I'm not going to be frozen because of that. I'm actually going to embrace it and I'm going to enable my own eyes to see the faithfulness of God in the present reality of my life because my life is found in the now. The only way to tomorrow is through today. So I'm not going to 
punt and try to get out of the pain of the moment and the tension of the middle, but I'm going to fully, I'm going to wrap my arms around it. I'm going to embrace the middle moments of my life because that's where I get to see the miracle in the everyday. I get to see the miracle of God at work in my life. I love it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter six. He says, sufficient is the day for its own problems. Of all of the people who's, who have ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus was the perfect example of being fully present in the moment. He had a friend die, and he stayed where he was at for three days. Like, he was fully in that moment. And he literally said, it's better for you that I wasn't there. Like, there's this beautiful meaning that is found in the tension of the middle and learning to lean into the purpose in the middle moments of life will propel you and others further into God's purpose. Because our purpose is meant to propel. So how do we propel others in our purpose? Well, be fully present. The moments that you find yourself in, whatever it is, be fully present in that moment, fully alive. Because I believe when you open your eyes and you begin to embrace those moments that seem mundane, those moments that seem hard, or the, the moments of your life that seem just extraordinary, when you open your eyes to the God activity in those moments, I believe you're going to be amazed at how your perspective changes. Because you get to see so much more God activity. Secondly, be generous. And I know the, the trap here is that everyone thinks that, oh, this is finances. No, no, no. I don't believe generosity is siloed to finances. I think you can be generous with every aspect of your life. Your time, your talent, your home, your energy, your finances, yes, but that because it's one aspect of your life. So I think as we learn to be gen a generous people, we can embrace and see God actually propel our purpose. Romans 12 actually talks about the gift of giving and the gift of giving, not just financially, but also with our lives. So to tie that to Ecclesiastes 3.11, here's where, here, I'm going somewhere, and 3.11, he says he's per eternity in men's hearts. So if we, if generosity propels our purpose, that people can have the gift of giving in Romans 12, 8, and he has put eternity into our hearts. Well, you put that into a recipe and you know what it has. It's, we are hardwired to make a difference. Your purpose is to make a difference. And it's in this innate desire in each and every single one of us. So what happens is that we focus on temporal things. We focus on making an improvement, making a difference on something that will not last for eternity. To use a financial term, um, when, I, when I'm looking at my investments, I'm looking at my cost basis. Now, cost basis, essentially, all it tells you is that what's your ROI? What's your return on investment, ROI? Now, if I take that principle that I care where I invest because I want the highest rate of return on my investment, if I care about that, Physically and financially, I should care about it spiritually as well. So I'm going to invest my time, my energy, my talents, all of these things, to the things that are going to yield the highest spiritual return possible. I don't want just an ROI. I want an internal ROI. I want an EROI to be really dorky. So how do we do this? Well, what do you, what do you have? 
Where can you, where can you open your hands and say, I'm going to be generous with this? Maybe it's your home. Maybe you should open up your home to a small group. Maybe, maybe you should say, hey, you know what? I'm going to start serving on the, on the dream team because I've been here and I've been, I've, I've had, I haven't been generous with my energy, my time. So I'm going to begin to serve for the first time. Maybe I'm going to be generous with my words. I'm going to really, when I think about someone and I think that they did great, I'm actually going to call them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to tell them. And I'm going to become a generous person with my words. I'm going to become an encourager with my words. What would happen is if you just looked at the aspects of your life and you said, I'm going to become generous in that aspect. What would happen? Here's, here's the test you can tell if you are a generous person or not. When you're, when you're talking about something, when you're holding on to something, and, you're, and someone tries to pull something out of your hand, how do you respond? Someone says, hey, why don't you serve on this team with me? Hey, why don't you do this? Hey, let's, let's do a small group together. Hey, why don't we, we should open our home. Hey, we should do this. If you go, if your natural reaction is this, nope, I can't do that. This is, this is why. Well, let's... I think we have some steps of generosity that we can take. That everything we have is God's. So there's not a, a set thing or a set percentage of your talent. Your, like all of those things, it's all his. So if all of my time is the Lord's, if all of my purpose is the Lord's, if all of, all of my resources are the Lord's, well then I can be generous because I know that it's not mine ultimately. It's this moment. So how do we, how do we move forward in um, becoming generous? It's, it's this. We pray. We pray. Just spend time in prayer. Because as you spend more time in prayer, you will enable, you will download God's purpose for your life. And as you hear God speak to you, you're, you enable, you open up the doors of generosity to propel you forward. You can be generous with your prayers. You can spend time just even in your prayer journal, writing people's names down, shooting people a text, saying, hey, I'm praying for you today. You've become the most generous prayer intercessor that there's been. You pray, you plan. I'm going to give you an example financially. If your budget is the purpose of your resources, it is just communicated purpose. That's all a budget is. So we have a family budget. You know what that does? It gives us a plan for our finances. Why? So that we can be generous. If I know exactly where every dollar in my household is going, guess what? I know exactly how many dollars that I can give above and beyond what I'm, we're using. You have a family calendar? That is the vision. That is written down. That is the communicated purpose of your time. So if you're not planning your time, you can't be generous with your time. And pace. Here's the one I find my generation falling into this trap all the time. It's pace that you want to run faster than where you're currently at in life. So you want to buy the home like your parents have because that's the, you want that. So you overspend. You want to go on the vacations that your parents go on. So you, you go into debt to go on vacation. You, you get in this cycle and then we overextend ourselves so that we can't sustain a pace in life that will actually get us to our purpose. Listen, generosity without wisdom will make you bankrupt. Like we need to apply biblical wisdom to our generosity in every aspect of our life, not just our finances. We need to be wise with our finances. We need to be frugal and good stewards and all of that. And I, I 
champion that, but we can't silo generosity to just one, that, that one aspect. Because then it just gives us a license to become consumers. We should be generous with every aspect of our life. And then finally, how do we propel our, our purpose? We use what's in our hands. If you're faithful with what's in your hands, it will unlock the key to what's in your heart. God has placed so many things in our hands. You are gifted, you are called. There's things that God has placed inside of your hands, those unique things that he has created you for. The you calling, like Joshua, just you will lead our people. That unique thing that God has called you to that calling, that gifting, if you will be faithful in that, it will unlock a level of fulfillment in your heart that I believe is the highest because it's when you are walking in God's will, God's way, there is invariably, there is this supernatural fulfillment that comes. We fulfill our purpose by walking in our calling. And the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that as, as you walk in your calling and as you walk in your calling and as you walk in your calling and as each and every single one of us walk in our callings, we actually accomplish more together. Because no one person is able to do everything. But everyone is able to do something. In World War II, um, I love these stories. I love these history stories. Um, so I just... I love them, so sorry if I bore you with them. But 1940, in World War II, the United States hadn't entered the war yet, and literally Europe was on the brink of collapse. It was right during all the night raids. I mean, Germany was bombing Great Britain daily for 57 straight days. And the German Air Force was, had 2,600 planes to Great Britain's 600. But Britain had a plane called the Supermarine Spitfire. It was the greatest plane in the history of the world at that point. In fact, it was so good that for every single individual Spitfire plane, they would shoot down nine to 12 German Luftwaffe planes. But there just wasn't enough. So, Henry Oates, the millionaire, he had a, a mining industry, went up to the director of aviation for the Great Britain and said, how much does it cost to build one plane? And he told him it cost 5,000 pounds. So he wrote him, I don't know, a check equivalent. I don't know what that would be back then. And paid for one plane. And word around, about this got around very, very rapidly. Then all of a sudden, what took place was actually, at that point, one of the greatest micro-funded enterprises that the world has ever known. Because towns, communities, leagues, all started wanting to give what they could to fund a spitfire. So little boys collecting tin cans on the street would turn them in and, and raise just a little bit of money, and that would literally pay for a few rivets on a plane. But every time a plane was completed, 
That town, that community, that fundraiser, that group got to name their plane. And by the end of the war, there was 2,600 Supermarine Spitfire planes in the air. That moment in history quite possibly saved the world. And it wasn't because one person did everything. It was because a lot of people did what they could. I believe so many of us are looking for one person to do everything when God is saying, you have a you calling. What can you do? What does it look like for you to serve and to lead and to walk in your purpose? Because you are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely called. There is something intrinsically valuable that you have been created and plucked out of eternity and placed on this earth here and now for a reason. And what is that? And how can you walk in that purpose? Because through Christ, we don't hoard, we bless, that we aren't restricted, we're, we're released because of him, that our future is secure. We don't have to worry about tomorrow because God is present in our today, that our hope is certain in Christ, that our joy is complete, that it doesn't matter the situations that we face in this life. It doesn't matter the current socioeconomic strife and the place that we find ourselves in. We can be certain and joyful and walking in our complete and true purpose with all all of the gifts of God that he has placed inside of us because better than knowing where we're going and all of those details is knowing who is with us in the moment. That he is with us. And today we have that opportunity to, to step into our purpose, to step into the callings of God. Just right where you're at, I just want you to just bow your head and close your eyes with me because I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking purpose to some of us today. Maybe you've taken purpose and you've set it on a shelf and you said it's too hard, it's too painful, the, the middle is too stressful, it's too tense for me, I can't manage it. But I believe as you take that back off the shelf and maybe dust it off, say, God, what have, what have you called me to in, in this season of my life? How can I be faithful to your purpose? There is this fulfillment that is waiting to be poured out into your heart. Jesus, I pray for my friends today. I pray for a supernatural download of their purpose. No matter where they're at, whether they've been following you for decades or they stumbled in today, you have a purpose, you have a calling for them, God. God, I pray that they would embrace the personal call of God on their life. God, I pray that they would hear and listen and lean in to the prompts of the Holy Spirit. God, and that their purpose would propel people towards you. God, I pray, pray that you would do a work in us. In Jesus' name. I mean, as, as we keep this posture of prayer, I just want to ask you the question. 
The great purpose of our lives, of all of us, is to follow, to know and follow Jesus. We talked about at the very beginning that Jesus is the great pioneer of our faith, that there is a purpose attached to Jesus pioneering our faith. It's so that we can walk with God, so that we can know God, that we can be at peace with God and, and have a relationship with him. And if today, if you've never crossed that line of faith to begin a relationship with Jesus, today can be the day for you. So right where you're at, whether you're in this room, whether you're, whether you're at home, online, watching, I want you just to right where you're at, just raise your hand and say, yes, I want to begin that journey today. I want to cross the line of faith today. I mean, even in the chat, there's a place where you can raise your hand. So if that's you today, let's pray this together. Jesus, I give you my life. I believe that you lived, that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose from the dead, defeating sin so that I can step into a relationship with you. And today, God, I cross that line of faith and say yes to your work. I say yes to the finished work of the cross. I say yes, that you can come and take up residency in my life so that I can follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, we worship you and we are so thankful for what, for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Radiant Church, let's stand on our feet. Can we put our hands together as we're doing that for everyone who prayed that prayer today?